Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. Today, we'd like to shine a light on a partner organization of SWE, Engineer Girl, a program of the National Academy of Engineers. Engineer Girl brings national attention to the exciting opportunities for women and girls in engineering through encouraging education and research and recognizing the superior achievements of engineers. In celebration of International Day of Women and Girls in Science 2021, please visit www.engineergirl.org to learn more. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to check out SWE's newest publication, The Heart of Science, Engineering Footprints, Fingerprints, and Imprints, written by today's host, Jayshree Sate. In The Heart of Science, Sate discusses the relationship society has with science and engineering and offers her unique perspective on topics surrounding advocacy, interdisciplinary contexts, thoughtful leadership, and inclusive progress. The book is available in both paperback and ebook formats on Amazon. All proceeds from the sale of the book will support SWE's J. Shree Sate Scholarship for Women of Color in STEM. Hello everyone, I'm Jayshree Sate, Corporate Scientist and Chief Science Advocate at 3M, and also the recipient of SWE's 2020 Achievement Award. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Today I'm joined by Gitanjali Rao, who was recently named Time's Top Young Innovator in 2020, and was featured on the cover of Time Magazine as their first Kid of the Year. Gitanjali was recognized for her community service and her many innovations. In 2019, she was honored as Forbes 30 Under 30 in Science at the age of 14. Gitanjali was also the winner of Discovery Education 3M Young Scientist Challenge and named America's top young scientist in 2017. She developed a device she called Tethys, an early lead detection tool, an innovation for which she also received an EPA Presidential Award. Gitanjali is also the inventor of Epione, a device that uses genetic engineering for early diagnosis of prescription opioid addiction, and kindly, an anti-cyberbullying device using AI and natural language processing. Gitanjali conducts STEM workshops globally, where she shares her own process of innovation. And in the last two years, she has reached more than 35,000 students across four continents. She's an experienced TED speaker and often presents in global and corporate forums on innovation and the importance of STEM. Gitanjali is also the author of the upcoming book, Young Innovator's Guide to STEM, to be released in March 2021. Thanks for joining us today, Gitanjali. This is our second podcast together. We did one for the 3M Science Champion series, and it's always so much fun talking with you, and I'm so looking forward to our chat today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So first off, I have got to know, what was it like to be named Kid of the Year and be interviewed for Time Magazine by Angelina Jolie? 
Yeah, first of all, I am so beyond honored, humbled, and also excited to be named Kid of the Year. I think there's something so exciting about being able to share your story. And I think by being on the cover of Time and being Kid of the Year, I'm representing kids from all walks of life, no matter their gender, their age, or where they come from. And I hope that I can prove anyone can be an innovator. And Time and Nickelodeon especially have done a fantastic job highlighting optimism, kindness, and positivity, especially in these fairly tough times. And looking at how we can look or highlight the work of us, our generation, because the future is quite literally in our hands. And the interview was definitely an experience that I will, you know, never forget. Angelina is one of the most amazing and selfless people. I think on top of being a fantastic actress, her work with activism as well as her humanitarianism is fantastic. And I think that it inspires me every day to continue going for my goals. Wonderful. So tell our listeners a little bit about your background. I know your parents are from India. Where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? And and what initially drew you towards STEM? Right. So my parents moved to the United States from India in 1996, I believe. And I was born in Columbus, Ohio, then moved to Nashville, Tennessee when I was seven. And then again, moved to Denver, Colorado when I was 11. And now I'm 15 and still living in Denver. And as far as I remember, the moves were always fun. And the first day of the move, we would go to libraries, museums, and aquariums. And I guess like if we wanted to explore something new, our parents would make that happen. They take us to somewhere and um, we learn by observing things around us. I never really knew that one aha moment that got me into STEM, but as a team with a couple of my best friends, actually, we would solve problems. So my mom would mentor some students for a challenge called Toshiba Explorer Vision, and we would never follow any specific rules, but we'd use that time every Saturday that we met up to play and learn new technologies, create skits, and then draw. And at the end of it, we would come up with some sort of solution. And slowly this became a habit almost, something that I still do. And I still associate it with, you know, it being fun. And that's what makes me me. Wonderful. Problem solving as a hobby. I know when we first met at 3M for the Young Scientist Challenge, you talked about how the news of the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, when you were only 10, sparked the idea behind your first major invention, Tethys a concept on which you were then mentored by a peer of mine, a scientist at 3M. So tell our listeners about Tethys, what it is, how it works, and and what your design process was like. Right. So Tethys is a device that's able to detect lead in drinking water faster and more inexpensive than the current tools out there. It uses the developments in carbon nanotube sensor technology, and it sends all the data to your mobile phone on the custom-built Tethys app that I created. So when the Tethys cartridge is dipped into lead-contaminated water, the lead in the water binds to the chloride ions that the carbon nanotubes are treated with, forming these lead chloride molecules that then proceeds to increasing the amount of resistance to the flow of current as well as decreasing the conductivity. And that drop in conductivity is directly correlated to the severity of the lead in water. And then you connect to the device over Bluetooth through the app and it reads the results as safe, slightly contaminated, or critical. And recently, a new option that I opened up is you're able to upload your test results, location, and time of test so that a heat map can be formed to show locations with more lead levels and less lead levels accordingly. So the idea of Tethys, it really you know came from the Flint water 
crisis, I can tell you maybe four or five years ago. It's been a bit. But I think when I turned 11, I started reading, reading a lot about nanotube sensors, reading a lot about the technology around me. And I just, it, it's, it was another thing that I came across and I knew I needed to implement it into something. So that's exactly you know, how Tetris was born. When I applied for the Young Scientist Challenge, I basically had a cardboard box and just this idea. Um, when I went to the finals, I had a prototype. And right now I have done as much testing as I can. And I'm currently looking to partner with other organizations to help with mass production and scale testing of the device. But what's super exciting is that it's already patent pending and I can't wait to see Tetris being used out there in places that really need it. Indeed, and it's a it's a very important innovation with a very important problem that needed to be solved. So, we at 3M are so proud of you, and we see the wonderful things you have done since. You know, a couple of your other notable award-winning inventions also address big issues. What was it that you see that pulls you towards these issues, and? And how did you go about addressing them? Let's start with, for example, Epione, your solution for opioid addiction. What is it? How does it work? And, and why did you create it? Yeah. So um, to answer that first part of the question, the idea of being pulled into a problem that you want to solve, and it's always the hardest step in the process, especially because the world is so big and there's so much that you can do to, you know, benefit the world for the better. But what I focus on looking at is how am I finding a personal connection to something? So for Epione specifically, one of our family friends got into a car accident. And by the time, you know, he was out of the accident, he was addicted to the opioids that the doctor had prescribed him. And by the time he knew about it, it was too late to do anything about it. And that's really what I realized, you know, this is an issue that exists everywhere. And this is also when it it was, and it is still huge in the news. And I think looking back at it now, I'm now realizing that any of us are vulnerable to something like this. And I couldn't even imagine to put myself in, you know, the shoes of someone going through an addiction. So I realized that, you know, I need to do something to help with diagnosis of addiction before it's too late. So Epione diagnoses prescription opioid addiction using the ELISA-based protein detection method. So after a user inserts a bodily fluid sample, Epione uses the protein expression from the mu opioid receptor gene to find out if a patient is at the onset of addiction. And the device itself uses the standard colorimetry processes in order to identify the addiction status of a patient. And all the results are displayed on a custom-built mobile phone app, just like Tethys because I love building apps, um, which shows you the status of addiction in a user-friendly scale, and it includes action items, including a map of the nearest addiction center. So right now, Epione is still at a prototype phase, and I'm doing all my testing actually on genetically engineered yeast at the University of Colorado, Denver. So hopefully after the COVID-19 crisis, um, I can start to go back into the lab and finish up my tests and see how far it goes. That's great. And we love that you love building apps because there's the Kindly app you created and it detects and addresses cyberbullying. So tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so Kindly is an artificial intelligence-based service to detect and prevent cyberbullying at an early stage. It uses the latest developments in machine learning and natural language understanding and processing to identify words or phrases that may be considered bullying. So this service actually can be seamlessly invoked into a variety of different front ends. So for example, for people to test it out, I've created a standalone app and a browser extension. And the current solutions in the market, while they are effective, are limited in their capabilities abilities since many of them are based on a fixed bank of words when in reality which I can vouch for the vocabs and terms that we use are constantly evolving so kindly self-learning service adapts to this by learning about the latest emojis memes and slang used and something really cool that kindly involves as well is it turns every bullying situation into a learning experience so kindly attempts to be non-punitive so instead of going directly to a punishment or censoring it out for the victim it allows users the option to either rephrase or edit their message, you know, not completely blocking them. If it's something that they choose to send, they choose to send it because that's what we need to see. And kindly, I like to say is created by a teenager for a teenager. And that's the type of personal connection you're not going to get anywhere else. That's wonderful as a learning opportunity as well. So just a little bit uh, different question here. You know that at 3M, we do the state of science index every year, and we try to understand the public perception of science and what people want science to deliver. What do you want science to achieve in the next five to 10 years? Right. So especially in the post-COVID world, both science and tech can play a huge role in learning from our past and innovating for the future, I would say. I think from improved access to education, eliminating and preventing zoonotic diseases, clean energy, prevention and detection of contaminated resources, and in general, a a resilient and healthy world depends on science and technology. And I could not see a way to continue without science to tackle these. I recently said in my interview with Time that I could not see a positive world without science involved. And I still stick by that. Um, If we're looking at something in specific, I definitely, the first thing I want to look at is the education crisis. Inequality in education has been something we have dealing, been dealing with for years. And I think that with this time during COVID-19, while of course so many people have faced hardship, if we were to look at the positive aspects of it as well, you know, we're making strides in education like never seen before. We're straying away from the the traditional approach that we've been dealing with for the past 50 years. So I'd like to see even more of that. You know, I want to see education just add on to what we've already done. We've already, you know, started working on virtual learning. But what if we add in mixed reality? What if we add in artificial intelligence? Imagine how cool the learning and education system would be. I think it's important now to really stray away from that idea of an A plus on our math test and look at how we can solve problems in society and create a difference in the world we're living in. That's a great vision that we can all aspire to. Which gets me to my next question. It is International Day of Women and Girls in Science today, a day to ensure full and equal access to and and participation in science for women and girls. How do you think we can get more young girls like yourself interested in STEM? What do you see as the barriers to young girls pursuing STEM? And, And what barriers did you personally have to overcome? Yeah, there were several barriers. I think that's the short answer. But a big one is the need for more role models in the way we introduce science to girls. 
I personally was introduced to a variety of concepts and its relation to the real world. And I saw a connection and could pick and choose what interested me. And there were times in camps where I was introduced to, you know, science, but the only thing I was introduced to was coding. And in coding camps, I was the only girl and not to mention the only girl of color. And in one such camp, my teammates created a game with only boy characters. And I had to remind them that games can have girls as well. And Mm -hmm. they were open to it. They just didn't think that way. They just, that wasn't their initial idea was not, you know, there can be girls in games. And today girls are introduced to coding or some regular day-to-day experiences and, or experiments and call it, you know, STEM. And there are several organizations who introduce girls to programming and expect them to pursue that. And I truly believe that we need to creatively introduce them to different topics, show them a connection to the real world in an environment that they're comfortable with and start them out early. Some of my friends are sensitive about STEM topics where they're just shown, you know, robots, codings, and other machines everywhere. But I think that what we need to figure out is what if we find a creative way where the rooms are more natural and they see a connection to the real world? Because that is what STEM is. STEM does not revolve around codings and robots. STEM revolves around what you want it to be. You can innovate based on your passion. Well said. So shifting gears a bit, outside of your innovations and uh, STEM explorations, what are some of your other interests and hobbies and and how do you find time for all that? Yeah, I have quite a few actually. The biggest thing that I've recently been doing is baking. I have been baking like crazy, random things too. Um, A lot of people ask me what my signature recipe is, but like I confess this in every interview and every person I talk to, but I am not good at baking. I like baking. I'm not good at it, but I can make anything with apples in it. Um, And then this year as well, I got a scholarship to learn how to fly, fly airplanes. And I've been pursuing that as well. And I just recently soloed my glider, meaning that I flew it without a instructor in the plane, which was a little bit terrifying, but I did well. Um, and I also fence and play the piano, and I play the bass guitar as well. And I do, I do a I, I do a lot of wasting time, like watching movies, playing video games, because why not? Um, but you know, how do I find time for all that? That's a great question and one that I still cannot answer, but I can tell you that if I'm bored with one, I move on to the next variety is honestly what keeps me motivated every day. And something on top of that is I'm a strong believer in doing what you want to do, not what you need to do. So everything that I'm doing is fun for me. So I don't feel like I need to slot out time to do all of this. I feel like, you know, after school, I have the rest of the day to myself. Wow. Gitanjali, you are flying high. You're so young and you've already had such an impressive uh, career, if you will. What are your goals and plans for your future? Yeah. So I've been conducting workshops for students all over the globe with a five-step innovation process. And I've reached about 38,000 students. And for some rural schools, I conduct this regularly while for others, I introduce them in one session, taking them from, you know, a direct idea to a solution. And during this pandemic, I decided to write down this process with detailed lesson plans for educators and teachers and parents and students, especially to take their own innovation journey. 
So a publisher was opening or was open to publishing this. And my book is called A Young Innovator's Guide to STEM, like you mentioned in the introduction, and will be released in March, which is super exciting. But this is just a small and first step to introduce innovation earlier in our curriculum and to self-sustain the workshops beyond my schedule. Because I think that what I have been seeing in these workshops that I run and in these people that I talk to, in these kids that I talk to, is that they do want to make a difference. They just don't know where to start. And I personally can still imagine myself in that position years ago. You know, even while applying for the Young Scientist Challenge, I didn't know what the next step was. And now since I do this every day, I do. And I want to pass on that knowledge to other students who also want to make a difference because there should be more than one Gitanjali out there. I can't wait to read your book. You are such an inspiration, uh, both to young children, specifically girls who are just beginning their educational journeys, and to adults like me who are established in their careers. But for any of our younger listeners who are in the process of discovering their passions and building their self-confidence, what piece of advice would you share? Yeah, this is always my favorite question because I get to be one-on-one. But my biggest piece of advice is take risks. I think as kids, as Gen Z, we have the ability to dream and then we have the time to make it reality with one step at a time. Each and every one of us have the power to change the world. And our generation is growing up in a place where we're seeing problems that have, one, never existed before and two, have continued to exist. And now more than ever, innovation is not an option. It's a necessity. And we need to come together to make a difference. And that's what I'm trying to put out there is we can can all dream. We can all dream of big solutions and we can all make them come true because there's no one stopping us but ourselves. We can all dream. Gitanjali, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, I also want to thank you personally for what you're doing for STEM advocacy. You make my job as a, as a science advocate easier. And I know you have said that you're someone who always wants to bring positivity to make others happy and and put a smile on someone's face, you have done that. And it isn't just your work, it's also your words that inspire and give hope. It was great talking to you today and I can't wait to see you again in person. Absolutely, thank you for having me. I'm Jayshree Sait for all of SWE, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to leave us a review and share this episode with your social network. Thanks for listening.